Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit, Derek Dyson, will be joining us throughout the show. Now, with a little over a month to go in the A-League men's competition and a congested fixture backlog to get through, the race to the finals is starting to take shape. And after the heroics of last season, the minnows of the competition, the Central Coast, are making a run at the very time their Sydney neighbours are flagging. And with games in hand, the Mariners might just be the form side to break into the finals. So we're looking forward to a chat with their coach, Nick Montgomery, to see what the Sheffield United and Mariners legend makes of their chances of doing some damage. Well, I'm after that with the latest on the Matildas and Socceroos from a club point of view, then in case you've it. There's an epic title race coming together in the Premier League and this weekend it gets very real for Liverpool and Manchester City at the Etihad. Just one point separating the giants of the EPL and more than bragging rights at stake. We'll talk to one of the UK's leading pundits and regular on Box to Box former Red Stephen Warnock to see how he thinks what is a virtual cup tie will play out. Cannot wait for that and of course we'll wrap it up with stoppage time with Derek. So Edge I think on one of those rare occasions, rather than rely on the, the wonderful Optus app, delayed telecast, spoiler alerts and all the rest of it, it's setting the alarm clock for 1am and getting it up and watching it in real time, mate. That is in order for, uh, for this weekend for the big match. Hello, Berto. Hello, Willem. Hello, listeners right around Australia, all over the world, actually. And uh, the Premier League Championship is on the line this weekend and uh, Monday morning Australian Eastern Standard Time. Rob, I'll be texting you just to make sure you get out of bed and that you are a true <laughs> no, Liverpool supporter and that you won't be uh, taking the easy option and streaming it when you wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, but you'll get up and you'll watch it live. But how about that World Cup draw? Bookmakers have instilled Brazil as 5-1 to one favourites to win the World Cup. France and England are at 11-2, to Rob. Belgium 11-1. United States 80-1 to one. and hosts Qatar 100-1. to one. Iran... And Saudi Arabia, 251. And the Aussies at 301, despite the fact we've yet to qualify. And New Zealand, the rank outsiders, at 750 to 1. More than 800,000 tickets have been sold in the first phase of the World Cup, down quite a bit on Russia for obvious reasons. And the second phase is now open, which includes the ability to apply for two matches in a day for the first time in World Cup history, Rob. The World Cup, Mm. it's not far away. No, and regardless of which teams make it, I still remember the disappointment of Italy not qualifying for Russia against Sweden and thinking it wouldn't be you know, as interesting as a World Cup normally is. But when it's on, regardless of who makes it, you just get caught up in the allure. And obviously there's lots of stories about Qatar and we've covered them in the past. We'll continue to cover them. But uh, uh, insofar as the football's concerned, um, the clock's ticking and we're, we're all pretty excited about it. What did you make of the Socceroos potential group, Michael? France, Denmark, Tunisia and the qualifier were going to make up Group D. So unless it is the UAE that make it through, three of the four sides that contested Group C in Russia are going to go about it again. Uh, is that a little bit dull, a little bit boring? I mean, there's not much we can do about it, but... Well, it probably wasn't as exciting as we might have hoped. Well, I thought the lady across the road who does her tarot cards had, had jinxed me, Willem, because we even get Peru in the uh, in the lead-up. So uh, to get to the World Cup, we've got to beat Peru, which we had in Russia. We got France and Denmark again. So uh, we performed well against France and Denmark. We could have got results in both of those games, and you and I well know, but uh, it was a bit of deja vu, wasn't it, Willem? 
Certainly was, Rob. And if you put on your uh, your Graham Arnold hat of positivity, you could point to the fact that uh, the last time a World Cup winner, so the reigning champion, qualified uh, for the round of 16, the next time around was actually Brazil in 2006 uh, when they qualified out of the same group as the Socceroos, having won it in 2002. So you could say, Rob, that France are as good as cooked. Uh, we just need to beat the UAE, Peru and Tunisia and we'll be as uh, safe as houses. Yeah, you did say that on the chat during the week and I just loved that kind of logic, Willem. So unless uh, um, you are a bad judge, and I don't think you are, um, you may have been listening to Edge's tarot card, neighbour, but um, hey, I like your logic, buddy. Let's have a look at the big news domestically this week, guys, and that is that Barcelona's meeting with the A-League All-Stars has been confirmed. Sydney's Olympic Park will host it on Wednesday, May 25th. Barca will have finished their La Liga season just three days prior, but the club have reportedly made assurances a good portion of their first team will make the journey. The A-League men's grand final will be played either three or four days later, ruling out players from competing sides, obviously, but the APL are confident the Barca clash will drive sales for the grand final not draw attention from it. Michael, what do you make of this? I think there's two thoughts, two schools of thought here. And one of them is that if Barca knock on the door and say, hey, we want to come, I think you open the door. But the idea that it's going to do, uh, that it's going to add to the A-League grand final rather than detract, uh, I think they might seriously be hoping that Melbourne City go on with it here so that we've got a big match in the two main cities, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Uh, does uh, does that check out? I think it does check out. But I'll tell you what, we uh, the uh, APL, uh, they can't, Tell us when the A-League games are on. We've got to, you know, do all sorts of wonderful uh, web searches to find out the fixture. But I'll tell you what, I know when this game is on, emails, messengers ads, Instagram ads, uh, Facebook ads, uh, Twitter ads, you name it. Uh, I've been bombarded. I've had five emails. I mean, I, I know when this All-Star game's on. Willem, but I don't know when Melbourne Victory's next playing. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've made it clear on here that I think that, uh, well, I hope it's not the APL driving these. I hope that it's agents and maybe, would it be Football Australia, Michael uh, and Rob? We'll go to you first, Michael, because if it is the APL and this is where they're putting their resources at a time of genuine crisis for the local competition, I think that's a little bit misguided, surely. Well, I don't know. I did get an email from the APL. I did get an email from... Uh, my football family membership as well, so they give it. They're covering all bases, but yeah, it's look. Um, I, I'm I'm okay with the All Stars concept. I think it's quite good. I'm a bit confused why you would have it at a time when participants in the grand final can't be in the All Stars. That confuses me a bit, but generally I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is national teams playing uh, club club uh, big clubs in uh, matches. We've talked about that before, and I'm not in favour of two international teams playing friendlies in Australia. I do like uh, the international clubs coming to play our local clubs because I think it helps promote the local brands and uh, give them prestige. So that's uh, that's my view, Rob. I uh, don't know if I've stolen any of your thunder there. No, no. It's, I mean, we don't always agree with each other, but on this occasion I do. I, I, I think, as, as I said last week, I think, when the Manchester United announcement was made, as long as people go into it with their eyes open and, and it's really about the kids and, and, and by extension, you know, uh, mums and dads having the chance to take the girls and boys along to see some of their heroes, then I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I really, uh, my, my mind shifted a little when Liverpool came out for that magnificent night at the MCG. Um, but And I know I'm going to steal a bit of Willem's thunder because uh, he's going to talk a little more about Rangers pulling out of the Sydney Cup. But the, the irony is not lost on me that uh, um, that it's it's a it's a dark day for me with Scottish football the fact that it's not good enough for Rangers to come to Australia but it is good enough for Barcelona and Manchester United so uh, talk about myopic um, um, points of view um, the the fans uh, wanting to keep what's theirs in their own backyard uh, well I know you've got more on this story but um, 
that to me is a disgrace. Yeah, and Robert, was the way they pulled out as well. They cited the unwillingness of tournament organisers to, to, to fulfil their commitments and that was pretty much it. It was no more than two sentences on their uh, on their club website. And organisers TEG and Leftfield Live here in Australia have refuted those claims uh, and they could be considering legal action. So Rangers, yeah, could be in line for a hefty fine if they're found to have broken their contract. Issues over the term old firm. Uh, we know Celtic don't like that term. So Rangers wanted it used in the marketing. Apparently, the fact that it wasn't used didn't go down with them. And we've seen their fans and, and protesting it's, it's from the from stand. Celtic to, to Rangers that they don't want it used purely around the, the, the change of corporate uh, structure with Rangers after after uh, their tax issues. So, so you know, that's not yeah. a good look on Celtic either, the fact that, uh, you know, that, that they, they bow so much, both clubs to the fans. It just, it's amazing um, that these uh, these vocal fans, I can't believe that every single uh, fan group has, has the same view. It, it's, uh, it's just bizarre that they could have so much say in this whole thing. It's as petty as it gets, isn't it? And then when we see, like we saw in the old firm on Sunday night, our time, Rangers fans throwing glass at Joe Hart's penalty area during halftime. Uh, and then these are the people who get their way. So it's it's certainly crook. And we as Australian have had an insight, as Australians with Anjova, they now have had an insight into the way that these two clubs are conducted and they're, they're led in many ways uh, by their fans, Michael. But yeah, as we stand, no Rangers and a $5.25 million ticket for any club who wants to come and fill that breach for the Sydney Super Cup. Uh, and it doesn't end there. There, Brazil and Argentina are in talks to play their leftover World Cup qualifier at we the MC. We broke that story on the show last week with um, Tim Vickery, didn't we? We did, uh, but it looks like it, uh, it is advanced from that point. Uh, but finding an appropriate window appears to be the sticking point for now. Uh, June could be uh, a possibility, but Argentina are close to booking in a, a date with Italy at Wembley on June 1. So that'll be a fair old travel title to then get over to this side of the world. And September... Michael, is of course egg ball time, finals time for the AFL here in Australia, as you would say, and uh, here in Melbourne, and uh, you won't be moving them. So what do you make of uh, international teams coming here to play a competitive match that's actually a dead rubber? It's all going on. Well, it is a competitive game, but it is a dead rubber, um, so it's a bit like a friendly, and who knows whether they'll bring their best teams. However, Brazil and Argentina never like to lose to each other regardless of wherever they play, so that's probably one that's significant. Um, yeah, football at the MCG... Um, I don't think that's going to happen in September, Willem, do you? I, I really think no, that's... I, I would think that is highly unlikely. So, yeah, a, a lot to sort out. And I think Argentina is going to be prioritising the match against Italy. Um, that's the new um, the new event between the champions of South America and the champions of Europe, um, which, are, which will be a big fixture in years to come, I would think. Shifting tack now, Netherlands manager Louis van Gaal has revealed he's fighting an aggressive form of prostate cancer, but plans to lead the side to the World Cup. Seven-year-old van Gaal told Dutch TV, despite extensive treatment, he's kept his condition uh, private until now and thanked hospital staff for the preferential treatment he's received. The Netherlands will face Qatar, Ecuador and Senegal at the World Cup and have announced Ronald Koeman will replace Van Gaal at the tournament's conclusion. Robin, I've made my thoughts clear there too on the uh, sort of myopic and circular manner that the Dutch just continue to point their own uh, point their own legends uh, to the top job. But for Van Gaal as a person, uh, a huge figure globally really in, uh, in football and spent a good period of time uh, in the 90s with Ajax and Barcelona at the very sort of pointy tactical end of uh, uh, of the advancement of, of of world football, so yeah, sad that he's uh, he's battling this here. But at seventy years old, getting the best treatment, and hopefully still has a good few years left. Yeah, seventy years young. I mean, we talk about your opa, mate. What's he bearing down on a hundred? So you think um, old Louis? Uh, hopefully, will have a few years left. So uh, you know, from all of the Australian football community to uh, uh, the great Louis, um, we hope that uh, you 
do get well and uh, have, there are many more years of football left in you. The shirt worn by Diego Maradona as he scored the hand of God and goal of the century at the 86 World Cup is up for sale. British auctioneer Sotheby's expecting it to fetch more than £4 million, 6.2 million Australian. The shirt was originally owned by England midfielder Stuart Hodge, who swapped with Maradona after the match. For the last 20 years, it's been on display, loaned by Hodge to England's National Football Museum in Manchester. Hodge said he's been the proud owner of the shirt that has a deep cultural meaning to the football world, the people of Argentina and the people of England. Rob, that is one iconic bit of kit. All right, well, I'm well done. Okay, after the break, we're going to talk Central Coast Mariners. They're one of our favourite stories in the A-League at the best of times, let alone when they bounce back and they're maybe heading towards the finals. They're on a fantastic run and their, their coach, Nick Montgomery, who's a Sheffield United legend and, well, a legend at the Mariners as well. He's, uh, he's doing some great work up there on the Central Coast and he's going to join us after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. As we said off the top of the show, there's about a month to go in the A-League's men competition. There's a congested fixture backlog that all clubs need to get through. The race to the finals is genuinely starting to take shape. And one of the great stories that's emerging out of the run to the finals is the Central Coast, who at the very time Sydney FC, their southern neighbours are flagging and have games in hand, at least the Mariners do, the Mariners are in some kind of form and their coach, Nick Montgomery, former Sheffield United legend and, well, legend at the Mariners as well, joins us. How are you, Nick? Hey, guys. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not at all, Nick. Really well. Nick, just to chart your recent form over the past couple of months, if we use the, the Cup final as a starting point, in the five games since uh, that final, you you took just two points, but you never lost by more than a goal, so you were thereabouts. And then in the, the last seven matches, you've taken 15 points. So... In your first crack at senior management at A League level, what was it like when you were when you were sort of under the pump and the results just weren't going your way? Was it was it relatively easy to, to stay calm and stay patient and keep the players on side with you, or were you did you start to throw a few things around? No, look to be honest, when we started the season, you know, it was a case of looking at what competitions we were in, the FFA Cup and the A League, and you know, my 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 words to the players were, look, let's let's try and get to the cup final and let's try and get in the top six. So. You know, to get to the cup final was an amazing achievement. Uh, very, very young team, and you know we just missed out to, to Melbourne victory in the final in a, in a, in a tight, contested game. Um, but like you said, then we, after that final, we obviously we uh, you know there'd been a lot of stuff of COVID over Christmas and players off and sick and, and games missing. And leading into that game, we obviously we had the semi final. We uh, we played Melbourne City at home, and, and to be honest, we could have cancelled that game. I think we had five or six out with COVID that, that started the week before. Um, but I chose to play the game and, and throw some boys in that have not been playing. Um, and yeah, look, we unfortunately lost that game. Um, and, and, and then from there, we, uh, you know, we, we went to a, a run of form where we were playing well, that the, the, the performances were there. Um, but look, we, uh, you know, we fell short. Instead of putting the chances away, we were, you know, I felt choosing the wrong option in front of goal and, and, and probably been a little bit selfish and, if you do that and don't put your chances away, then you're always susceptible to cop goals at the other end. And yeah, we had a, had a really difficult period where two games at home, we should have won comfortably. And that was MacArthur and Perth. And, and both of them games, we copped uh, last or injury time equalisers and, and dropped four points there. And then we had a difficult trip to Melbourne where, again, we uh, we went towards a totally Melbourne victory. And I think they had two shots in the game. And 
we conceded a 95th minute uh, goal to lose the game. Um, and then I think everyone saw what happened at the following game against Melbourne City, which you know to now I still can't understand how how that happened. And, and you know I think it was just again it went worldwide in terms of the ridiculous decisions given on the night that actually cost us three points because if we took the two decisions away, you know we'd have, we'd, have, we'd have walked away from Melbourne City with three points and in a game I felt we should have won. Um, and yeah, that was another you know another tough moment where you have to regroup and and then fly to Adelaide direct and yeah we we copped again again we should have won uh, I think we had plenty of chances to, to win to win the game and we copped again a, a last minute um, goal to, to lose the game so I think going through that period you know, the main thing was to, to to stay tight as a group and, and, and stick to the core principles and know that we were very very close to, to, to winning every single game um, during that run so yeah that, that was for me, yeah, it was a frustrating period. But when you're looking back on the performances and you see the effort was there, then you know that you know you're still close, and there's not much to change um, other than you know stick to the game plan and, and make sure that not not one individual goes away from the game plan moving forward. And you know, uh, I, there was a few moments where I had to, uh, you know, probably not uh, not kick kick a few things, but you know, let the boys understand that you know. We have to stay disciplined and we have to believe in what we're doing. And if we do that, we'll come out of the other end. And I think that's what exactly what we've done. And a guy that's played a huge part in helping you do that has been Jason Cummings, who came to the Australian scene with a reputation that certainly preceded him. Uh, we knew about his sort of off-field stuff, but he's proven in the, the maybe three or four months that he's been here that on the pitch, he's a, a very hardworking professional and he's been very, very uh, effective for you guys. So what's he like around the group and what's he like off the park? Because if the, the sort of carry-on and the antics were everything, uh, it'd be, you know, it's clear that he wouldn't have gotten to this point in terms of where he is as a professional and how effective he has been if, if that was everything to him. Look, for me, he's, he's been uh, you know, the signing of the season in the early. You know, I'll say that you know already. You can see the statistics, the time he's been here, the goals, the assists, and you know he probably could be you know top of the goal scoring charts with the chances that he's had as well. Um, he went through that seven game period where he was he was so close to scoring uh, many occasions, but unselfishly assisted other people. Um, and look, football is football. You know, reputation sometimes precedes you and. Fortunately, I've got a lot of contacts in in the UK and Scotland, and I spoke to people that had played with him, that had managed him, that had, that had been around him, and they all said the same thing: massively talented. You know, done a few silly things, nothing, nothing too bad, and and you know, he's he's now realised that his uh, off the field stuff probably hurt his reputation. Um, so look, I jumped on the phone to him and 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 sold him that you know, come out here, uh, fresh start, fantastic place to live, uh, you know, good league. Come and come and reinvent yourself and uh, come and enjoy your football. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, an overnight thing. I kept in touch with him and I knew that he's a player that you know we had to get in. And be honest, at the time, Matty Simon's been out all season. Uh, massive uh, massive loss for us. Top goal scorer for the club last season. So to have Matty Simon out injured all season was was a massive blow. Um, but look, you know, we we knew that we had some insurance money and you know we didn't have a big budget at the start of the year, but to get Jason in it was something that I think the club did really well to, to, to get over the line and I think his impact has been uh, amazing not not just on the pitch off the pitch the boys love him he trains a house down he's, he's honest he's hard working and he's, he's everything that, that you want and you know for me he's been he's been a breath of fresh air and, and you know as, as a manager your job is to manage the players and get the best out of them and, and you know I think at the minute Jason's really enjoying his football and he's 
and, and everybody's seeing what a talent he is. And you mentioned you think he might be the signing of the season this season. Importantly, you've still got the guy who was probably the signing of last season, Marco Ureña. What does he bring to the group in what is generally a younger squad? He's an older head who's got 67 caps for his uh, country, been to a couple of World Cups and could possibly uh, uh, be cramming the door open again to get back into that national team squad ahead of Costa Rica's qualifier against New Zealand. So how important is, is he to your day-to-day operations uh, off the pitch? Yeah, look, Marcos came in last year. He obviously had a difficult start. Like some of these players come, they don't play. It takes him a while to adjust, but I think when he adjusted, people you know, could see his quality last year. He's obviously very quick, he's intelligent. Um, and look, at the start of the season, uh, we had uh, Marcos and, and Maresh, the Brazilian boy up front. And um, to be honest, Marcos had a lot of chances, I think, you know, the early part of the season. He was more shots on target and off target than anyone, any any player in the league which shows as a team we were creating lots of chances, but you know, it just wasn't, just didn't have that confidence. He's probably not the most natural goal scorer, um, you know, when you look at his his, his career record, but, um, you know, for him to, to find the form that he has, I think it's been, you know, again, tra- on the training ground, working working hard, and, and uh, yeah, we had a period where um, you know, I felt the front players weren't giving us enough, and, and when Jason came in, um, I think, he really set a new tone to, to, to what was required in terms of effort, um, you know, as a front man defended from the front and had a couple of conversations with Marcos and, and, and yeah, Marcos uh, took it on board and I think everybody's seen his, his, the shift in his mentality and shift in his, his work rate and from that he's started to get goals so not only does he score, he assists as well and him and Jason have got a good relationship and, you know, you need your senior boys to to, to guide the young players on the pitch and, and, and they're doing that at the minute and they're really setting the tone. So I'm really happy for Marcos. He's working hard, he's getting his goals and he's also providing them. And again, you know, Jason's doing the same thing and we've got other players in the team that can score goals. So it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it's good to see at the minute. But again, seven games to go. We've, we've got a long way to go. Garen Kloll, uh during the week, uh, got on the end of Vernon and scored his uh, maiden goal in the A-League men. It was fantastic. Obviously, there is a great degree of um, expectation around his potential because of his brother, but can you just let us into uh, behind the scenes what the young fella's like? And uh, you must have been thrilled that he uh, he came on the pitch and, and got a goal for you straight away. Yeah, look, Garang, Garang is a, a special talent, he really is. And, and we talk about his brother there. Two totally different players. Alou was, you know, just a, a monster in the box. Anything that came in the box, his, his aerial ability was frightening. His power, but look, Garang is, is a dribbler. He's a, he's a winger. He's one v one. He's I haven't seen anyone one v one in this country as good as him. And I'm talking about 17 year olds or 27 year olds. And he's he's uh, he's quiet. He's unassuming. Um, look, he, you know, he, he played in the FA Cup final. Hurt his knee and, and had to have a, a you know a small operation um, on his knee to tidy it up and, and since then he's, he's been out for six weeks. He's just started back training, so he's not fit at the minute. And I think you know what what we saw the other night was his yeah just his his, his finishing ability. He's a, he's a very good finisher. He's super quick and and yeah look we expect big things from him. Um, he's got to work a lot harder. He's got to get himself uh, fit and and he's got to, again go into men's football. But you know when you're looking at Young players. We've got a lot of young players at the club that, that I've been fortunate to bring into the club and, and spend time working with. So um, you know, he's one of many that I feel I've got a good chance of you know, breaking breaking into the A League team and going on and having good careers. So yeah, he's you know he's, he's a special talent. You can't keep him under wraps. He's, I think he came on in the FFA Cup, scored a goal, and now he's come on in the A League and scored a goal. So um, you know, unfortunately, he got that 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 injury. 
uh, put him out for six weeks, but he's back now, and, and you know we just need to get him fit, and no doubt he can uh, he, he can be a you know a good weapon for us off the bench in the next couple of games. And before we we let you go, Nick, you, you've had uh, ten years with the Central Coast Mariners as player and coach uh, after a, a stellar career in the UK, Sheffield United, obviously three hundred and fifty games. Uh, including uh, a stint in the Premier League. So what's your take on football in Australia right now, um, in particular where the Central Coast Mariners sit in the, the bigger picture uh, as a you know as a one-club town who only have uh, football to, uh, to represent them? You know, where do you see football in this sort of defining period between the, the breakaway from Football Australia and, and independence? Look, I think the Mariners is a special club. You mentioned there it's, it's one club, one professional club in, in, in the region that has been growing over the years um, so I think it's very fortunate in that um, but football in general when I first came out to Australia 10 years ago I thought the A-League was really going uh, going places um, but obviously uh, you know the, the sort of standard went down and things took a bit of a turn I think the MLS sort of really pushed on and, and created that that, that, that league that, that we were looking at creating here um, but I think you know the the, the change in, in the ownership of the league now and, and the transition of that I think that's obviously been really affected with the timing of, of COVID and um, I don't think it could have been sort of worse timing but saying that I think it's given the league a little bit of time now to breathe and, and people to you know people to get through this COVID period and, and the league this year I think has been a lot more higher quality than it was last year um, you know people have spent a lot more money I think there's been three times the amount of investment uh, from some of the clubs, what you look at, the signings they've brought in. And, and I think you know, the league is growing. I think next season is, is a real good opportunity for, for the league to really push on. But I, I really do believe in, in developing young players and, and giving young players a chance. And I think the national team needs it. You know, I think everyone's crying out to see young talent over here. You know, there's, there's a few more A-League teams than there was a couple of years, years ago. So for me, it's a, it's a real good opportunity now for for young players to, to break into the A-League and, and into the national team and, and, and sort of, you know, hopefully uh, grow the national team as well. And moving forward, it's exciting times. And I think after after this season, we, everyone can regroup and, and get the marketing strategy going next year, get the fans back in the stadium, get the atmosphere going. And, and I think clubs will continue to spend money and bring quality players in. And if the product is good and, and enjoyable to watch, then I think, it's got every chance of, of really grown into a, into a very good league. So, uh, fingers crossed that, that that happens. Yeah, Nick, it's a great assessment. And uh, what this league does need is professionals uh, like yourself involved, bringing through youngsters and having uh, you know that wealth of lifetime of experience in football from your career in the UK through to your decade in Australia and uh, and being part of that growth. Uh, Nick Montgomery, thanks so much for joining us. The Central Coast Mariners have been a wonderful story playing out in front of us. We wish you luck in the run to the finals and uh, we'll be watching very closely if you manage to make it uh, um, and, uh, and maybe spring a few upsets along the way. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Not at all. Nick Montgomery, manager, coach of the Central Coast Mariners. All right, stick around after the break. More Socceroos and Matildas next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
Yes, this is Box to Box. That was a great chat with Dick Montgomery, and I really do hope the Central Coast Mariners keep this run going. It'll be great to see them in the finals and represent the wonderful Central Coast of uh, uh, Northern Sydney. Uh, beautiful place that it is. And our good mate, Ray Gatt, who just loves those Mariners so much. Uh, we're going to talk more Socceroos and Matildas with Willem in a moment, but as the weather just starts to get a little bit more wintry, don't you let the flu ruin your plans this year. We've been through COVID over the last couple of years, and most of us know exactly what it's like to get that. Some of us didn't have all the symptoms, but if there's one thing about the flu, when you get it, you know it. You are laid up. So don't take that chance. Get in early and help protect yourself with up, the flu up. immunization. Thank you, Michael. Mm-hmm. Available now. We're at Chemist Warehouse. Warehouse, of course. The quadrivalent vaccine helps protect against four strains of influenza. However, it can take several weeks to take full effect. Book your appointment now. I did. I've already had the jab a couple of weeks ago because it takes a community to build immunity. We're all in this together. It's quick, convenient and affordable. Plus, you don't need to bring in a script. That is very important. You just book and get in there. The prescription and administration are provided in store by a qualified health professional. This year, the quadrivalent strain vaccine is just $17.99 at Chemist Warehouse. Build immunity and book your flu vaccination today at chemistwarehouse.com.au slash flu. Copywriting gold, that it takes a community to build immunity. Get your uh, quadrivalent uh, flu vaccine down at Chemist Warehouse. I've got a note in my diary, Rob, to make my appointment tomorrow morning because it is uh, the beginning of April, which is when I get my flu shot every year. Well done. I think you said that last week. So I hope by the time we do the show next week, you actually say you. No, no, I will. I'll get it done this week. And um, I just, especially off the back of that copywriting gold, it mm. takes community to build immunity. Yeah, and the delivery, of course, wasn't bad. Um, just yes, quietly. yeah, delivery was good. Uh, Willem's got uh, Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. I tell you what, we've launched some packages, Willem. Have you ever? There was some. Uh, some. Am I on? Can I hear myself? Yeah, yeah we can hear you perfectly. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Uh, there certainly was, Michael, some copywriting gold on the Green and Gold Army website this week because packages are on for FIFA's Intercontinental Playoffs in Doha this June. The trip includes 11 nights in the Qatari capital and tickets to all three playoffs, as well as a Twilight Desert Safari, a guided tour of Souk Wakif, and trips to the Banana Island Resort and Museum of Islamic Art. Edge, tell us more. Oh, look, I can't wait. Uh, we're back on the away terrace. Uh, the, the pandemic is officially over in the Green and Gold Army. We've launched our first uh, tour package since the beginning of the pandemic. That in itself is a milestone, regardless of how many uh, of, of the Socceroos fans get there. But I'm just so looking forward to intercontinental playoff matches. You sit on the edge of your seat for the entire game because it's all on the line for the Socceroos. Uh, and we'll obviously cop uh, uh, New Zealand and Costa Rica. Who know? Marcus Arenia, the Central Coast talisman, could be playing for Costa Rica in that big game against New Zealand. That'll be interesting, but uh, it'll all be about the Socceroos, a big match against the UAE, and even a bigger game should we win against Peru, not to mention uh, going to uh, see the Socceroos train and um, and just immerse yourself in everything. It's uh, FIFA and AFC Intercontinental Playoffs and all of the tourism highlights that Doha has to offer. So if you're not interested in going to the World, to the, uh, World Cup, why not come to the playoffs and uh, we'll go to both. And that's the man who leads it all there, Michael Edgley. He is pumped, as you can hear. So you'd be mad to miss and it all begins in just under two months. So book now at ggatravel.com.au. Let's have a look at how some of our Socceroos and Matildas went around the globe this week. And we will speak about the old firm derby at length in stoppage time. But Ange Postacoglu and Tom Rogic have taken another big step towards this Scottish Premiership title with a 2-1 win over Rangers. That puts them six points clear 
with seven remaining. Rogic dominated the opening half at Ibrox, netting the equaliser four minutes after the opener went in, before Celtic had all hands on deck defending their lead in the second half. This week, they host St. Johnston in the final premiership match of the season on Saturday, before the table is split into two groups of six for five final games. Another Socceroos midfielder who had a big week was Denny jean Rowe, who played the first hour as Toulouse, stretched their lead to eight points atop the French second division. They had a 2-1 win over second place Paris FC, who are now down to third. So with seven to go, it would take an almighty collapse for Toulouse not to seal promotion to the top flight, where they spent 20 consecutive seasons before relegation two campaigns ago. To England's third tier, Mas Luongo played a full match as Sheffield Wednesday defeated AFC Wimbledon. Uh, they remain inside League One's top six with eight to play. Bailey Wright and Sunderland sit just outside that at uh, seventh. They've kept the pressure on with a 1-0 win over Gillingham. Uh, so they are just two points outside of the playoff spots and they have a game in hand, two sides above them. And good news, Michael, Harry Sutar's back running ahead of schedule on the comeback trail from his knee reconstruction. He's called Stoke Physio Nick Meese, the best physio in Europe. He's targeting the final uh, stages of Stoke's preseason ahead of next season. So that would rule him out of our playoffs, but should we make it through uh, it certainly wouldn't be too late for the World Cup. And his injury, uh, when he went down with that uh, ACL in the wet in yep. Parramatta against Saudi, really did mark a bit of a turning point, didn't it, it in did. our fortunes? Yeah, it did, yeah. And uh, and all uh, all of uh, God's healing powers to you, Harry. Um, you deserve to get back, and should we make the World Cup, um, he deserves to be there because he was a big part of the early success through the uh, qualification campaign, wasn't he, Rob? He 100% was uh, that wet night. I remember we had uh, uh, Wadey um, in the stands with a bunch of football legends and uh, and we talked to him after that match and uh, and, and that Harry Sutar injury, which, you know, obviously wasn't diagnosed on the night, but it was pretty obvious uh, um, what uh, what it was when he went down. And, uh, and yeah, our, our fortunes, you know, from that uh, record-breaking run just, uh, just started going down the drain. So hopefully, you know, signs that he, he may be back. I mean, you talked earlier, Edge, about... Uh, Tom Rogic and and the sort of form he's in, um, you know, we're going to need everything to go our way from here. I mean, it can't get any worse, can it? I mean, apart from not qualifying, of course, but, uh, you know, we can only improve from here. To our Matildas, Chelsea have held on to top spot in the English Women's Super League after a 5-0 win over Reading, with Sam Kerr scoring the third and fourth, taking her tally to 23 in 25 goals. Uh, 23 goals in 25 games that should uh, read across all competitions this season. Arsenal kept the heat on Chelsea with a 5-0 win of their own against Leicester with Caitlin Ford laying off an assist for the opener. Caitlin played 80 minutes while Steph Catley came off the bench but not such good news for the Gunners in Europe. They went down 2-0 to Wolfsburg in the first leg of their Champions League quarter final. Catley playing a full match there. Elsewhere in the Champions League, Joe Montemuro's Juventus went down 3-1 in their opening leg to Lyon, uh, where Ellie Carpenter wasn't involved, though. Edge, what's happened there? She's been such a mainstay for so long. She was red-carded in the Champions League a little while back, but should have served that suspension. So uh, do you have any further insight on Ellie's absence there? No, I don't, actually, Willem. That's a good pickup. And we know we've got our Aussie trio at Arsenal. We've got another one making waves at Fortuna Hjoring in Denmark. India Page Riley found the net this week in a 4-0 win, and both Claire Wheeler and Angela Beard were on the park to celebrate with her. Very quickly, Mike, before we get on to a look at the A-League men's competition, which we have neglected a little bit over the past little while, uh, we've got a couple of our youngest uh, Matildas who are about to head off and begin their own overseas journey. So if you could just reflect uh, on the fortunes going forward of Kyra Cooney-Cross and Courtney Nevin, who are heading to Hammerby in Sweden from the victory. That's obviously a, a significant one for Kyra. Um she likes to stay in Australia, so um, she's been convinced to go to Europe. And um, she's obviously uh, carried um, 
an injury in the last three or four matches for Melbourne victory in the finals, um, which has kept her out of uh, the matches against New Zealand. I understand that she's uh, got some full rest required to get over um, the problem with her knee. So um, she'll need to go and uh, rehab that and uh, and build slowly into uh, her season. And Courtney Nevin, um, never far from Kyra's side. They're great mates. And um, that's good that they'll be, at least they'll be together uh, in that new environment. And uh, uh, let's hope they do well. And Remy Seamson, such a star of the other women's over the past few seasons, is also off to Sweden with AIK. Yeah, Remy, um, she uh, deserves an opportunity to go to uh, one of those Scandinavian leagues. Obviously, Sweden, Denmark and Iceland have been happy hunting grounds for Australian players for many, many years. So Remy gets her opportunity in Europe and uh, well done to her. Rob, Football Australia and Disney Plus have announced an Australian Commission docu-series that's going to chart the Matildas' preparations for the World Cup next year. Uh, it's going to chart, quote, the highs and lows of the side, look at how they drive social change and take in the influence of Tony Gustafsson. Uh, it's going to be a six-parter and presumably it'll be uh, aired before the World Cup. Uh, this is good. This is uh, what people like in this uh, in this modern age. We've seen the success of Drive to Survive in the uh, Formula Ones of the test uh, around the Australian uh, cricket side in the 2019 uh, World Cup and Ashes in England. Of course, the uh, Aussie Rules had a, a quite a popular one uh, on Amazon, and now the Matildas are getting on board as well. So well done to the uh, FA for sealing this deal and keeping up with the times. It's amazing that Disney, um, of all organisations, would, would look at a team like the Matildas. I mean, they, um, they have that status as being Australia's if not most loved, but at least uh, up there in, in in the reckoning for most loved international teams. Uh, obviously, they take a chance when they back a, an international or club side for these sorts of things because they they hope that the narrative ends with, with a, a great backstory as we lead to the World Cup. Um, I am a little bit concerned with some of the news that's coming out uh, around the, the woke sort of language of Disney in recent times. So I hope that doesn't uh, uh, overlay this whole thing too much. But uh, uh, but the bigger story is, of course, uh, you know that it's that it's Disney and uh, and that they've chosen the Matildas. So uh, you know they'll do an outstanding job, and uh, hopefully the Matildas get the, the happy end that we all ending that we all hope they will. The Pararoos and the Paramatildas have uh, find it, they've found out who their World Cup uh, competition is going to be. The Pararoos will they got joined in Group C along with United States and Iran. And the Paramatildas, uh, it's the first time there's been a female uh, Para World Cup, and they'll be joining Japan, Spain, Netherlands, and the United States in the inaugural tournament. Well, all those teams will play each other once, and the top two will play off in the final. So, uh, well done to the Pararoos and the Paramatildas, whose uh, World Cup events are only around the corner. Yeah, it's, it was great news, and the Paramatildas, of course, the the, the most recent addition to uh, the uh, the pantheon of Australian representative sides. Uh, the uh, the para teams, of course, the the teams that uh, are uh, the cerebral palsy sides. And you know, I've know I've said it many many times, but uh, my little Alexander is seventeen years old, and uh, as a boy who uh, who lives life in a wheelchair, and uh, he's just full of joy and happiness when he sees uh, people achieving and given opportunities like this it just uplifts him puts a smile on his face and I know uh, lots of his friends at school and his social activities just love these sorts of things as well so uh, before we move on to the A-League though I just do want to indulge myself Willem there was a little bit of breaking Matilda news that you didn't see in the mainstream news Um, the seven-year-old Yvonne Gilbert and nine-year-old Larice Gilbert my nieces are making their debut for the Mini Roos next Tuesday night in Canberra at halftime of the Matildas New Zealand match. So to those two beautiful little girls, the 
daughters of my youngest brother, Kieran, and uh, my sister-in-law, Fiona. We are absolutely looking forward to those little girls running out. And, uh, and it's just amazing for a family who, who really wasn't steeped in football as we grew up. All of our girls, every single one of them, uh, nieces, uh, uh, all play football. And, uh, and Larissa and, and Yvonne, uh, good luck to you when you run out. Um, Rob, is there any truth to the rumour that there's a there's a, tuss, a tussle between Football Australia and the uh, Lebanese Football Association over their representative honours? Well, it could also be China because uh, Fiona, my sister-in-law, is of Chinese heritage. So three-way tussle. Uh, it's a three-way tussle, yeah. And uh, so, uh, look, let's just watch. I, I do see a little bit of talent. Um, I know that um, Larice uh, does like a, a cheeky back heel and, and Yvonne is a, a pretty fierce <laughs> defender. So uh, named after my mother, um, Larice, and one of my aunties, Yvonne. So uh, if uh, you're not, not exactly sort of common names, Christian names in in uh, in 2022, but uh, but they pay homage to a couple of great ladies in our family. Melbourne City, um, I think they've got one hand on a second premiership plate, guys. have opened up an eight-point gap on Western United. Western United do have three, points, uh, three games in hand, uh, obviously. City have sort of surged ahead to, uh, to sort of get their games out of the way before they head off to the Asian Champions League. But the way they blew Sydney apart 4-0, uh, Matt Leckie in particular with a brace, the second goal, uh, magnificent. Uh, I think if they can beat victory this Saturday at Amy Park, which uh, has been a side that's been a bit of a sticking point for them. They've got it. They've, City is... Uh, I reckon it. they've got it. Um, and they also enter the Asian Champions League next week. April 15th is their first game. So excited uh, about their prospects. Place, yeah. yeah, best placed of any Australian side for a long, long time, I think. Mm-hmm. They've got BG, Patum United, Johnham Dragons and United City. And with respect, they really should do some serious damage there. Yeah. Uh, they've got the core of their championship winning side from last season still together, uh, if not improved. Uh, Sydney FC, however, also entering there uh, probably uh, with opposing fortunes. They had a 3-1 win over the Wanderers in the derby, but then, yeah, got spanked 4-0 by City. Ryan Grant should mention him as well. He broke Alex Brosk's appearance record for Sydney, but celebrated it uh, with the red ticket. So he won't be out there this weekend against uh, the Mariners. That meeting against the Mariners, Rob, really is vital. Uh, they are sixth, but they've played a few more games to uh, get them out of the way before they go to the Champions League. So they could very quickly slide down to as far as ninth if uh, while they're in Vietnam they don't get a reel, reel on this Saturday. Okay, stick around. Uh, we are looking forward to a chat. Uh, Stephen Warnock, Liverpool loving. Here we go. Bring it on, Rob. Great man. Well, look, he's always very measured and he doesn't get too biased. Like I don't, um, obviously. You know, we'd like to keep our professional No, you, you don't get biased not, at all. I would agree with that. Not, I, I, I'm in furious agreement that you are not biased about Liverpool at all. See, thank you. That's, I mean, we are professional broadcasters here on the show, so we don't like to, to go down that path. <laughs> So we are looking forward to a yarn with Stephen Warnock. It is a massive match coming up on Sunday morning, uh, Monday morning our time, Sunday afternoon, over there in the UK between Liverpool and Manchester City. Stephen Warnock next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. There is an epic title race. It didn't look like it for a while there. Manchester City skipped out to a 14-point lead, but they've stumbled a bit. Liverpool have found their mojo, and this weekend they play at the Etihad with one point separating the two. It's a virtual cup tie, and to talk to us about it is Stephen Warnock. Welcome back to box to box Stephen. Hi, how are you? Everyone well? Yeah, very, very well, Stephen. We're super excited. Uh, obviously, we know from the past, you know, you, you are able to separate 
uh, your allegiances to Liverpool and call it uh, as you see it. But um, this one really uh, has come about as, as, as a set of virtual cup tie. And it's been a long, long time since we've seen a match of this magnitude, pretty much uh, about it seems to decide the entire season. Yeah, I think it looks that way, doesn't it? Um, when you you look at, if Liverpool were to win the game, you'd fancy them then to go on and, and win the title. Um, if they lose the game, you look at Manchester City's running and you think, could they slip up along the way? I'm not so sure they would. Um, this is this is huge, this game. I mean, you, you think of the quality on show and you, you look at both sets of managers, both sets of players, and... My gut feeling tells me that this game is going to be settled on a mistake just because of the, the, the pure magnitude of it and the, what's at stake. And it's just that lapse of concentration, uh, an error from someone and the quality that is on show, it will be punished. And, and that's my concern about the game because um, I can't split them. I really can't split the teams because they're so good. Yeah, and they may not be split on the day, Stephen. What do you think about uh, either team really going for the jugular and going for the win. These games can often end in a kind of stalemate. Uh, do you think Liverpool, because they've got a, that opportunity, uh, will be able to, you know, they'll go for the jugular? And do you think City will go for it too? Or do you think a point might actually work out well for them? I don't think either manager knows anything different but to go for it. I think when you look at them... Um, Every game that they set out to play, they set out to win, whether that's home away, whether it's against a uh, good opposition. You think back to the game at Anfield and Liverpool went after City in the first 20 minutes or so. And then Guardiola changed his tactics and suddenly City dominated the game and they came back into it. Both managers will want to win this game. A draw won't suffice it's it's not good enough for either manager they want to stamp down their authority to say we are the best team uh they know that they're, they're both the best managers in in world football at the moment and they they manage the best teams um but i i, I just don't see either team sitting back i think they both go for it they both go for it completely and um i think the the only interest or the the, the hardest part to call about this game now and it if you'd have gone back maybe two seasons, you would have said you could pick Liverpool's front three. I can't pick it for for the game on Sunday. But then you look at Manchester City and you say, I can't pick their front three at the moment. I don't know who they're going to pick. And I think it'll be so intriguing to see who both managers pick as the forward players because I think the the way that they'll they'll line up is to stop both opposing fullbacks getting forward of of, of of both teams because that is the one of the main strengths of both teams. They appear to need need each other, don't they? City and Liverpool. They seem to be able to bring the best out of each other. Um, Rob said earlier in the intro that that. City have, have kind of slipped up. I, I, they haven't really, have they? They're in brilliant form. It's just Liverpool are even more brilliant form. And we think about that season where City went to 100 points and, and won the league by a point. Do you, do you see, is this peak Premier League? I mean, is this as good as it gets, do you think? And what do you think about the fact that without each other, these teams wouldn't really be raising to the heights that they are at the moment. Yeah, they'd switch off. Um, Manchester City would know, probably 14 points clear. I know they were 14 points clear and you say, well, they've had a slip up and they've had a blip. Like you say, Liverpool have just been 
formidable. They've been incredible the way they, they, they've gone after them. They've been relentless in their approach to everything. Um, they do need each other. The managers need each other. It spurs you on. It's like competition uh, competition for places in a team. You always need new bodies coming into the building to make sure that it pushes you to that next level. And, and these two teams are, are quite remarkable. Now, you said in the question, uh, or you asked in the question was, is this is this the pinnacle? Is this the best it gets? I don't think it is. I think the, these managers, if you think of Manchester City, imagine they were to bring in a Harry Kane or a Haaland. Well, they go up a level again, but Liverpool would react to that. They'd they'd make sure that they they step up their game again next year uh, to react to that. And, and I just think that the, the introduction of, of Luis Diaz this season, it shows the intent by Liverpool to keep matching Manchester City uh, blow for blow. And I think it's it's phenomenal to watch. I think this is the game that everyone now wants to watch. It used to be Liverpool and Manchester United because of the rivalry. But from a pure footballing point of view and tactical and technical and things like that this is the game in world football now this is the game everyone wants to see when you think about what happened in the champions league this week obviously i don't think either team took a a back foot they they clearly uh want you know the champions league almost as much as they want the league and liverpool had to go to a tricky place and they won well and city had to really grind it out against a pretty stubborn uh Atletico side but do you think in a hypothetical situation if you think you offered Guardiola the Champions League right now and Klopp the league right now do you think they would take it or do they want it all I think quite possibly they would take it uh however they'll they'll be looking at it thinking we want the double we want to make sure that we can do the league and the Champions League I think when you look at Liverpool's squad I think this is the best it's ever been and we, we often talk about Manchester City's squad being the strongest in world football. I think Liverpool have overtaken them with the signings of Jota and Diaz and Canate. I think now they've gone to that next level. I feel that they can compete in both the Champions League and the league. As we saw the year they won the, the Champions League, where they nearly they nearly won the league as well. I think they feel they can do both. And, and um, I think City are the same. I think they just believe that they're capable of doing uh, the double in the Champions League and the league. Um, I think one thing Jurgen Klopp has said uh, recently in an interview, and I know Virgil van Dijk echoed it as well, he said he wants to win the league in front of fans, wants to desperately celebrate it in the streets of Liverpool and have the parade because they felt that they've missed out on that. Um, and I get that. I understand that completely because your memories of winning trophies and your memories of games are, are, are celebrating it with the fans, with the people that you love in and around you as well. And I think that's what they're desperate to do. It, it almost feels a little bit empty to them that it, it didn't it didn't pan out that way. So, uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how it pans out. Stephen, we've been talking about, obviously, the massive match this weekend, which everyone's focused on. But on Wednesday, um, the blue side of Merseyside had a, a, a step in the wrong direction, a 3-2 loss to Burnley. Burnley has closed that gap. How big is the hole Everton is in? And can Frank Lampard see them through uh, and keep them, out of, keep them out of the bottom three teams? It was a... Uh, it was a heavy uh, blow to their aspirations, wasn't it? It was. I was at the game. I was commentating on the game last night and um, watching Everton. At half-time, I thought they'll, they'll comfortably win this game. But their nerves kick in, that, that anxiety of what if we don't win the game, that feeling of um, 
you get attention within yourself. I've been in relegation battles myself when I was at Blackburn and Aston Villa, and it's a hard, hard place to play your football. You've got to be brave on the ball. And I thought they went into the shell a little bit in the second half, Everton, last night. Um, Richarlison had a fantastic chance where he went through, um, beat the beat the right-back Roberts and, and then lashed it wide. Should have been more calm and composed and probably put Everton 3-1 ahead. And I think they'd have comfortably won it. But you cannot write off Burnley in, in this situation. And when you look at, Burnley closing it now to one point and you you look that Burnley have got Norwich away in the next game. Then they play Watford as well in, in a group of games. It looks better for, for, for Burnley, the games that they've got. Whereas if you look at Everton's fixtures, they play Manchester United, they play Everton, um, they play Liverpool and you, you I think they play Chelsea as well in that group and you just look at it and think, these are a group of fixtures now for Everton where you think, Where's the point coming from? I think they played Brentford in one of the games, but we look at Brentford and the turn in the turn that they've had now in their form with Christian Eriksen coming into the team. That's no easy game as well. So I really do fear for Everton. Um, I think they need now Burnley to not pick up a point or to to have a, a real barren spell again where they don't pick results up because they look they look very, very low. The, the plus point is, is that they'll have Alan back at the weekend, who's a little bit more comp- um, sort of aggressive in the midfield area, but they're lacking so much quality. Before we let you go, uh, those last two Champions League spots are suddenly in play with Chelsea um, in a world of pain uh, with uh, the Roman Abramovich uh, departure, imminent departure, uh, losing um, a, a massive Champions League tie at home, at Tottenham in, in excellent form, Arsenal stumbling on the weekend. How, how do you see that top four finishing off uh, in the back end of the season? Yeah, I was asked this question a couple of weeks ago on, on one of the shows that I do in, in the UK, and I, I just thought Tottenham. And the reason I look at Tottenham is Harry Kane, Son, Kulisewski, um, Bentancourt, who's come into the team, who's been exceptional. But Conte's a winner. He's, a, he's just tactically so astute in the way that he is. Um, they've got experience, whereas I look at Arsenal and I love the job that Mikel Arteta's doing at Arsenal. But I just feel that inexperience in the team might cost them a little bit. And that's the, that's the concern for, for Arsenal for not making it. So I'm going to Stick my neck out and go for Tottenham. Okay, Spurs. And that's with respect to uh, to West Ham who are in good form and we're sort of counting out Manchester United, really. Stephen, uh, mate, look, thanks so much for joining us. You're always super generous with your time. Uh, enjoy that game on uh, well, Sunday afternoon, uh, very early hours of Monday morning, our time. And, uh, well, by the end of it, we uh, we will get a far clearer picture on uh, on who's likely to win the, uh, the 21-22 English Premier League season. Yeah, fingers crossed. And uh, hopefully, speak to you again soon guys yeah we sure will Stephen Warnock uh, former Liverpool champion and now one of the great pundits of the game over there in the UK around the world of course okay stick around we've got a lot more to wrap up with stoppage time that's next on Box to Box Box to Box can you believe it for Chemist Warehouse home of real brands and real savings and Storage King the kings of storage moving and more and this could be the most crucial goal of all yeah, this is Box to Box. If you're a football fan, we really hope you've enjoyed a couple of first-class guests this week. Nick Montgomery reflecting on the Mariners and in the A-League and then the great Stephen Warnock. When he talks, you listen. He not only knows everything about uh, the game, but he just explains it so well. This is stoppage time. There's plenty of time left to wrap it all up. We're going to talk World Cup draw. We're going to talk Old Firm uh, and a few other things. But we're going to get started, Derek, with... Uh, 
a uh, Champions League wrap of that first week. It um, had some excellent games, but uh, some real disappointment for a couple of clubs there as well. Yeah, Chelsea will certainly be disappointed, but you know how good is uh, Benzema for Real Madrid? Holy mother, he's he is just Should one of the four. best players in. Sorry, should have had four. Yeah, no, could have had, could and should have had four, but he is, you know, got to be one of the the great players in the game, and it's coming to him at the end of his his career as well. You know, he's he's been the servant to a lot of other great players, such as Cristiano Ronaldo, and his assist record is also crazy too. But now, I think he's getting into real uh, Real Madrid great territory now. When you think about Raúl, when you think about Ronaldo. Uh, in recent times, I think you've got to put Benzema right up there, and of course he put Chelsea to the sword at Stamford Bridge, and that that comes off the back of a you know some ropey form for Chelsea at the Bridge anyway, with the pummeling they got from from Brentford in the Premier League at the weekend. And even though we've spoken on this show about how Chelsea have been just about trying to hold this together, even with everything that's going on behind the scenes, that uh, this is a statement result for Madrid. I think it puts a marker down to Liverpool and Man City, who we were uh, who were talking to Neil Warnock about earlier and saying, Neil look, Warnock, of course. Neil Warnock, sorry, I always say Neil Warnock, don't I? We'll get Neil on the show soon. I think he'd be great value. But um, I think Real Madrid is saying, hey, we're here too. And you're going to have to beat us to, to lift this trophy. And at 3-1, as an away win, I think you've got to fancy them now to do the job against Chelsea and, and proceed. And the other great result was uh, Villarreal. You know, what an outstanding uh, job Unai Emery is doing uh, over at Villarreal. It's a, it's a great story, a great little ground um, in a small a small city there. But my goodness, um, the, the, they took Bayern Munich to the, to the absolute cleaners. I know it was only 1-0, but they could have had four or five in this game. They totally bossed the Germans, I think. Unlike Real Madrid, who have put a marker down, Bayern Munich are now scrambling to get a result. You know they are, of course, better at better at home at the Allianz Arena. But I think they're on the ropes in this in this whole tournament, and I'll be interested to see if the the yellow uh, submarine will will get the get the job done. There it would be you know a standout performance if they did. Well, of course, we've already spoken about Man City, a great one nil win for them, really with. Uh, Atletico putting up stubborn resistance in that game. We don't have the away goal rule anymore, you know. So, you know, they go to they go with everything to play for uh, in that in in that second leg for sure. Uh, Madrid, but City with their noses in front, and Liverpool, of course, we said that they've um, they've they've done a great, taken a huge step in what is an enormous week or two for for Liverpool in terms of the quality of games they're playing. But you're talking about high quality games. I think we all had our eyes on the old firm I, I tuned in for the last uh, the, the last half an hour or so and uh, Rangers laying siege to the to the Celtic goal and, and Celtic keeping them keeping them at bay but that's now six points uh, clear for Angie's side and uh, Edge I don't know if you do you have any reflections on this surely there is one more old firm game to go but the title surely now heading back to Celtic Park my reflection is um, Tom Rogic is in absolutely sparkling form and if he can keep that sort of uh, momentum up, uh, Australia's in with a big chance to qualify off the back of him. He is the one player that, uh, well, him and Aaron Moy, obviously, but uh, he's the one player that can make a big, big difference for the Socceroos. He was 
really very, very special. Uh, and he has been uh, pretty much all season for Celtic. And obviously the Australian connection, connection there between him and Ange Postacoglu, uh, Australia's football's community, is loving the ride. And um, six points clear. You'd have to say uh, they should close it out now, Rob, shouldn't they? You'd hope so. Range is still alive in Europe, and uh, you know Gianni Van Bronckhorst. Uh, you know he's, he's he's turned into a you know a formidable manager in his own right. But he but he speaks in very realistic sort of tones, doesn't he? So he doesn't seem in his public utterances to to, to have a, a lot of confidence. So we'll cross our fingers, and hopefully um, Angel will, uh, will at least he'll get the double, and then there's a chance of, of a treble in uh, in the Scottish uh, Premiership as well. So. Good luck to him, and um, and we'll keep our fingers crossed. World Cup draw was after we went to air last week, Derek. Um, th- there's no real group of death in this. I think the closest one might be Group E. No group of death, as you say. I mean, there's been some story going around this week that England are technically in the group with the highest or the lowest uh, so aggregate score of um, of ranking. So on uh, by ranking, England have the toughest group. I think though we can look through that a bit and go, if England can't beat Iran, uh, USA, uh, who they have struggled against in World Cup football, let's not forget, and then one of Wales, Ukraine and Scotland, uh, you, you, you know, you would, you'd be really worrying about that. England, England should, on current form, on, uh, on ranking, should cruise that that group. I'd, you mentioned Group E. Uh, yes, it's Spain, uh, Germany, and you know Japan. No mugs, as we saw against the Socceroos. Of course, they're a, a super uh, a super outfit. We've, we we will see uh, who the who the final uh, person is in that group. Could be could be New Zealand, although they've got a they've got a tough assignment uh, in their in their group. But uh, Edge, is there any uh, group that that stands out for you? Are you excited? What about Australia? What are the prospects there? Well, we spoke about that with Willem off the top of the show. Australia copying France and Denmark and Tunisia. Should we get over the top of United Arab Emirates and Peru? Obviously, France and Denmark, we were drawn against them in Russia, weren't we? So that's a bit like, uh, couldn't we got someone different? But the, the group uh, that really excites me is Group C, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, who I think are, are setting themselves for a big World Cup. I think the, uh, the Saudis will do well. And Mexico and Poland. I rate Mexico highly... Um, so I think Argentina, Saudi and Mexico amongst those games and throwing Poland who are no mugs, that group really interests me. Um, Rob, what about you? Which is the group other than obviously Australia's potential group that you will be focused on? The home group always fascinates, doesn't it? You, you were suggesting, Edge, uh, during the week that Qatar uh, would be a chance of getting out of that group. And when you look at the numbers, uh, they don't suggest that that's the case with uh, the Netherlands, Senegal and Ecuador. We listened to Tim Vickery give them a huge rap uh, last week and, and Rob Stevens telling us that he thought Senegal were the best uh, team out of Africa and, and the greatest uh, chance of doing some damage in the ball the Dutch of the Dutch. So uh, I, I'd just love to see... And I'm a big. I talked about this with the Russian people before because I think we need, uh, when we look at global uh, geopolitical issues, we need to separate the politics of countries uh, with the people who occupy those countries. So um, I, I think for the people of Qatar who uh, who love their football, a very proud nation, and uh, and will be hosting this World Cup, uh, uh, that I'd like to see them do well and uh, and um, to to make some waves. So Group A is probably the one that I'll be watching closest. I like the one. 
one at the other end of the uh, the table, Group H, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and the Korea Republic. A good blend from across the world, oh. one from Europe, one from Africa, one from uh, one from South America, and one from Asia. I think Portugal uh, come in with uh, a big storyline around them, obviously with Ronaldo and some good individual players, but they uh, had to come through the playoffs. Uh, Ghana seemed to be getting back to some of their best form. Michael off the back of uh, off their qualifiers, having having dropped out pretty poorly at Afcon, and uh, Uruguay, two time winners, always uh, always strong when they uh, they make the World Cup. So I quite like Group H. Uh, for a good uh, good blend. Well, the, the one fixture I'm looking forward to the most is Group B fixture is Iran and USA because it brings back memories of 1998 in France when Iran beat USA 2-1 at the height of some very tense politic, ge- geopolitical uh, feeling between the two nations, obviously, and um, who could forget that game when um, Iran slayed the USA and it was a, it was a big 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 shock in the uh, the 1998 World Cup and um, and I think uh, the feelings will be pretty much the same uh, in Doha when those two teams face off it'll be huge hey edge um, you, you you texted me earlier in the week to talk about the World Cup song I presume you're talking about higher higher or better together um, what what have you got to say about that? Well, I have got to say about just before I've got a couple of pieces of audio. Just before I play, we're going to end with a World Cup song, a bit of a grab of it, which Damon right, has organised okay. for us. But just before I do that, I wanted to um, uh, play an audio grab from uh, NASA Al Qatar, who is uh, the key statesman or the key uh, leader within the Qatari government who's delivering the World Cup, and he's responding to some comments that Gareth Southgate made in the lead-up to the draw. Gareth Southgate got asked uh, about um, the union statistics around uh, the workers' deaths and the workers' conditions in Qatar, and Southgate had some very pointed comments to make. And I just thought we would play NASA Al Qatar's response because... They are fierce words. Into Qatar, is he basing his opinions and basing his public statements on what he's read? Because it's kind of uh, an issue when you just base an opinion that you're very vocal about on things that you have read. Somebody with a lot of influence, such as Southgate, somebody with a, a big audience that listens to what he says, has got to pick his words very carefully. And I think before making statements like that, when it comes to the workers, he needs to come here, speak to workers, understand what workers uh, get out of being here. You know, there are isolated cases. These are the cases that make it to the media. However, I can assure him that if he comes here, speaks to the majority of workers, they will tell you how they put their children through university. They will tell you how they've built their houses for them and their families. And these are the stories that nobody hears. So I look forward to welcoming here. I look forward to meeting him at the draw. And I, he can listen to my opinion. He doesn't have to believe it. But at least he needs to go that far to understand different opinions, to understand different cultures. So some pretty um, big words there from um, the leader of the entire yeah. delivery of the World Cup. And uh, I just thought it was interesting that we would play, play that uh, grab. Um, and, uh, you know, the backdrop of this issue to the World Cup, it's not going to go away. Um, there are so many massive media events between now and when the games start that um, I just sense the Qatari authorities are going to get even more testier as the event gets closer. And uh, I thought that was interesting, Rob. Well, I'll I'll tell you what, Edge, uh, I think it's uh, geopolitical change, to be honest with you, because, you know, with with everything that's going on in uh, Ukraine and Russia at the moment, uh, uh, Europe and others now uh, short of gas, which they need uh, for for the next winter. And, of course, who has all the gas? Uh, Well, certainly... uh, 
Qatar has quite a lot of the gas in the world. And I, I detect a change here from them having to come out and be very apologetic and very calm and understanding they've got the World Cup now, it's on their doorstep. And they also realise that everyone now needs guitar, particularly in the Western world. And I don't think they they don't want to be pushed around anymore. Either. You're right, it's a definite change of approach here. They're deciding to be a bit more bullish about this and taking it to the doubters. I think also because they're going to have to they're going to have to face this, um, you know, constantly now through the through the uh, through the tournament. So they're setting this all out early edge. Um, you also set sent me a, a note about uh, the FIFA Congress. Is there more that you need to talk about there? Yeah, there is a bit of news out of the FIFA Congress. Obviously, um, uh, what was very interesting was that uh, the, the the alliance between Europe and South America has deep deepened, and just. After the Congress, the, the two presidents of UEFA and Commebol got together and had a joint press uh, press conference to announce that they're opening an office in London. Um, and at this point in time, there doesn't seem to be many staff, but uh, Alexander Seferin and uh, Alejandro Dominguez have got together and they are really starting to up the ante on FIFA. Uh, the backdrop is uh, Infantino, the FIFA president, was... Well and surely had his pants pulled down on the uh, trying to move the World Cup from every four years to two years. And the, these two men, uh, the presidents of Commebol and and um, and UEFA, were the key um, dissidents who, who fought against Infantino and and ultimately won. Um, and in a joint uh, in a joint case of um, stick it up to FIFA, they announced obviously they're opening an office. And off the back of that, there's going to be a clash. Um, of the European and South American champions, Italy and Argentina, at Wembley Stadium in June. And they will call that the finalissima. That's the name of the game, Rob, the finalissima. And they announced that off the back of the Congress, which no doubt is uh, well and truly a uh, a symbolic gesture to... um, uh, the power of FIFA and just what happens when two of the largest uh, confederations get together and do their own thing. What did you think well, about think, the name, the finalissima? Oh, well, look, I guess it's very Latin, isn't it? Um, it sort of crosses over uh, various languages and has a certain sense of the exotic about it. I think what it does have a sense for Italy, though, is now that they're not in the World Cup, uh, it takes uh, on a lot more importance. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's just wait and see uh, about uh, uh, how that all plays out and the, and the level of seriousness that both countries take it. But I, I suggest that they will take it, um, you know, as seriously as, as a World Cup tie, um, you would think, if it's meant to be the, you know, the grand title of the two biggest confederations in world football. So, um, you know, hopefully it works out and and, um, and, it, and it's a, you know, it needs to have a, a good start so that uh, it sets the uh, the tone for, for, the, for the future um, iterations of, of this fixture. Well, it's time to end stoppage time on a bit of fun. Obviously, one of the great uh, things that comes about every four years for the World Cup is the release of the World Cup song. And um, it's uh, higher, higher, better together. Let's uh, hear the chorus let's, and let's then we'll get your opinions. To the boys before we go. Oh, yeah, you, is that what you want to do? You don't want to just sort of trail out and just sort no, of... No, no, no. I want to want to listen to it and then I want to get the comments about right, what people think about it. Let's listen to um, FIFA's World Cup song, Higher, Higher.
can be up and down, but what can you do? Yeah. We navigate through all the rough and the smooth. Yeah, we got that rock and roll, that rhythm and blues. Yeah, yeah. I'm never blue if I'm rocking with you. Oh, oh. I promise, I promise, I promise you now. Everything, everything gonna work out. Baby, tomorrow, no matter what goes well, Damel just played that down. That obviously that song's been released in multiple languages: in Spanish, in German, in English, even in Arabic. It's already gone to the top of the Spotify charts in Arabic. Uh, Three hundred and thirty million people are loving it. What did you think of that, Rob? Better together, a bit of a message of togetherness sent out by FIFA. Yeah, no, I, I, there's a very jaunty feel about it, doesn't it? Uh, the artists are uh, Aisha, a um a lady from the Middle East, Trinidad Cardona and Davido. Uh, so, yeah, looking so far as the beat's concerned, I'm no great uh, music expert, but, you know, it's like uh, a good wine, isn't it? You know what you like. So uh, it sounds good fun and, uh, um, yeah, well, as far as World Cup songs go, I don't think anything can beat football's coming home. But um, you know, Oh, I think Waka Waka uh, was the one that uh, is, is the one is the one, one to beat, isn't it, Waka Waka? We'll call them, we'll call them the three podium finishers so far. Yeah, football coming home. You Typically bloody uh, English colonial, you, Rob, fair income. Yeah, that's me, the Lebo, married to the Italian <laughs> English colonial. Willem, what did you think? Stunned by how poor that song was. I think maybe <laughs> that would have been... That sounds like... So fresh 2006 when I was growing up. This is 2022. That's backwards. That's old <laughs> stuff. That's no good. Oh, Willem. I'm not going to the World Cup. He's not going to the World Cup. But hey, hey, yes. it's, not, not, it's not better together for Willem. What about you, Derek? Two words, gents. Nessum Dorma. <laughs> oh, FIFA. That, that is a proper, that's a proper hey, song. That was from the Olympics, wasn't it? No, no. Italia 1990. Yeah, Pavarotti. Yeah, Pavarotti, yeah. Gaza's tears, wow. I'm not sure I'm going to be adding uh, uh, higher, higher to any of my Spotify playlists anytime soon. Mm, sorry, Edge. Well, I've added it to my... I've got a Spotify playlist called yeah. Football Delirium, Robin. I've added it to that. Um, I might take off Football's Coming Home after you've... Um, well, that wasn't the official song of that, full, that World Cup, of course. No, so, it was uh, Euro 1996, just, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... No. All right. All right. We better wrap it up, boys. We've just gone way over time. Uh, Michael, you have a good week ahead. We've got. Uh, um, we've already talked about the Matildas coming up. Uh, the countdown's on to June. Um, there's a, obviously that massive match on on Sunday morning or well, Monday morning our time. Uh, Liverpool and Manchester City. So never ends in the world of football, does it? No, it does never end in the world of football. And I'm getting a bit of banter from my UAE colleagues. Uh, as you know, I spent a bit of time in Dubai uh, with my work and. Um, the UAE uh, colleagues are popping up, thinking they've got some sort of chance to beat the Socceroos. So I'm just going to send a special message tomorrow and um, uh, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Mm. Well, sounds like we're counting a few chickens over here, by the way. Um, Willem, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Have a good week. You too. Derek, um, enjoy uh, um, Liverpool's... Um, well, I think um, crowning as champions on Monday morning. You'll get up early and watch it, won't you? I mean, I, it's, it's one thing that I, you know, I can just about tolerate it in our WhatsApp group, but I don't know why you have to bring it onto, you know, and pollute it to everyone in their ears going to work or whatever it is, Rob. You know, just keep all that weak chat to the uh, the WhatsApp group, I think. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's we're talking about weak chat. I mean, if there's one thing Willem would endorse is the, is the lack of response when Arsenal um, have a poor result. Um, 
uh, don't you two go scuttling off for the corners and uh, the uh, the sounds of silence are deafening. Uh, Damo, thank you for pressing the buttons and making us sound good. Uh, it's been fun again and we're really grateful. that Damo's uh, walked out of the room. He, he still can't cope with your comments that football's coming home is the best uh, the best song. You know, he thinks Ricky Martin's miles ahead of that. Right, he's he's I, actually I, I, left the he's left he's left the building. Damo's gone. Just just like uh, um, Keith McGowan in that famous clip from Three AW. Uh, for anyone who wants to have a listen to it, uh, find it on YouTube and you'll know what I mean. All right, let's wrap it up, boys. <laughs> Please subscribe to Box the Box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. And make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.